Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to, uh, good to be here this morning. It's really great to worship together, and uh, thanks to the worship band. It's really great, isn't it, to gather together and to lift up the name of uh, Jesus as we gather together. And uh, this morning, we're starting a new series uh, called Godly Relationships. And as many, will, many of you will know already, our vision focus this year is Draw Near. And relationships are really such an important part uh, of our drawing near to God. You know, some of you may think, well, isn't draw near all about my relationship with, with me and God? But actually, when Jesus was asked the question, what is the most important thing? What did he respond? He responded actually with two answers, not just with one. He said, well, firstly, the, import, the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. But Jesus very quickly added to that and said the second to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see in the scriptures that actually these two are so intertwined that loving God and loving one another are connected. And I even go as far to say, except in perhaps uh, extreme circumstances, it's not possible to mature as Christians if we're not growing uh, in community and growing in our relationships with those around us. Um, last year, our vision focus was loving community and as we explored that, we thought about Jesus' words, didn't we, in John chapter 13 and verse 34. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our relationships have such an important impact on our relationship with God. I don't know if any of you have experienced the situation where one of your relationships is struggling or maybe you've had a domestic with your spouse or a close one and... Uh, you go to pray, and you're trying to pray, and you're just, you're just struggling to connect with God. Uh, I don't know if anybody's experienced that at all. I have in my prayer life. And I find in that place, actually, there's something about reconnecting and reconciling with that loved one, whether it be my parents or a child or a spouse, um, and, and reestablishing that relationship as I come to God in prayer. And I've said already that our vision focus this year is draw near, and our vision verse is draw near to God. And he will draw near to us. And as we think about drawing near to God, we cannot get away from loving community. And it's one of the things I say each year, actually, that whatever our vision focus is, we don't lose the vision focus for the previous year, but they layer upon layer in our understanding of who God is. And as we explore uh, godly relationships over these next few weeks, I want to specifically focus on the themes of marriage, uh, sex, singleness, and all our relationships that we seek in these relationships to draw near to God. This is something that I've wanted to look at for a while, um, particularly I think as we see in our society and move away from a laying of significance on the family and of marriage. You know, I'm mindful that many families and marriages are under lots of pressure in our day and age, and I think our society doesn't value them as it once did. And as a church, we want to say, actually, family is really important. Uh, marriage is really important. And as we uh, begin to look at these things, there will be some challenges. But overriding that, I want to say, you know, we as the church, we're the people of God. We want to bring a positive vision of who God is and what he's got for us, because we believe that actually God has got the best for us. And uh, as we look at this series over these next four weeks, 
Um, I want to say that actually this links in with the other areas of our vision focus. I don't know if you remember the four different areas of raise expectations, break down barriers and mindsets, cultivate passion and hunger, and develop humility and purity. This all ties in with our godly relationships. Raising expectations. We want to raise our expectations uh, in what God can do in and through our relationships. You know, we don't want to limit what God can do in our relationships. We want to see all that God can do in and through those. Also, we want to break down uh, barriers and mindsets. We want to come to our relationships with God's mindsets. You know, so often I'm aware of my own life and my own relationships and how I can have my own views and perhaps take the views of the world and not actually say to God, you know, God, what are your views on this? What are you doing here? Also, we want to cultivate passion and hunger. God wants to stir a passion and hunger for his presence deep in our souls that only he, the true life giver, can satisfy. God has made us to be sexual beings. He has made us to be people of passion. And I don't mean just sexually when I talk about passion, but just generally we are created with desires of passions, with joys. And God wants us to align those with his passion for us. His passion is for relationship, and we'll explore that a bit more in a moment. And then fourthly, the fourth kind of area that we've particularly outlined in our vision focus for this year is develop humility and purity. As we approach, we need to grow in our appreciation of who it is that we come to worship. You know, our God is a great God, a God who loves us, and a God who's given us uh, boundaries. In fact, the bit that we left out today, not because I don't think it's important, but because it was such a long passage, um, the bit we left out, we actually really sp- spent some time on looking at uh, right at the beginning of the year, and it's of the two trees. Do you remember me talking about the tree of life and the tree of good and uh, the knowledge of good and evil? And I think this really holds together some really important values as we approach our godly relationships. On the one hand, you know, the tree of life, that God gives us life. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to grow into all the things of him. And then secondly, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we are called to live within the boundaries that God sets. And God doesn't set these boundaries to be a killjoy, but he sets them to enable us and help us to flourish. And as I said, you know, God wants to really bless our marriages and our family lives and all of our relationships within the context of St. James. Next week, I want to focus a bit more on our sexuality and the boundaries that God sets around this. And alongside this, I want to focus on the desires that God places in us and how they point to something beyond ourselves and actually ultimately point us to God. And I'll explore a bit more of that um, today as well. It's a wonderful picture, actually, that of marriage and of our relationships that actually it points us to who God is himself. Now, um, before I go on to speak a bit about marriage specifically this morning, it's really important to acknowledge that we will be touching on some deep things um, over these coming weeks. And as we touch on deep things, we can sometimes touch on old wounds or scars. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that right at the beginning and that we give each other um, space and grace within that. And so I just want to set out some key values that I think are really foundational as we look at this over the next few weeks. And I, fir- I think the first one, which I, I actually ties in with a video we watched earlier, that actually when we think about seeing people don't know Jesus, what's the first thing we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to be prayerful. 
And we need to be asking the question ourselves to God, you know, what is God saying to me? Not, oh, what's God saying to him over there or her in the seat there or um, such and such a person I know. But what is God saying to me? You know, that's the question I want to invite us to ask every week, in fact. What is God saying to me? And then I invite us to be biblical. You know, we're a church who values scripture and sees it as God's authoritative word to us. And we want to sit under that word. It doesn't mean we, have, we don't wrestle with it and we don't uh, look deeply into it, study it, think through what it's actually saying. Uh, but we want to be uh, biblical as we approach these things. Also, I invite us to be distinctive. Part of the life of following Jesus is to be different, that we're not uh, people who just want to go with the way the world thinks or the way we think we've got a hunch about something. But as I said earlier, actually, in Isaiah 55, it says, God says, um, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so we're invited to take on what God has got in store for us. And then finally, I think this is really important, that God is love and he wants us to be full of love as we explore, as we talk. And within that, we want to extend grace uh, and have a sense of God's healing as well, that God is a God who meets us where we are and he wants to reveal to us more of his love. And finally, by way of introduction, I want to say that over these next four weeks, in a sense, they are four parts of one sermon. And uh, we're not, uh, in church, we're not about sound bites. Um, our culture likes sound bites. But I really want to say and, and, and sort of emphasize to us, this uh, is a series that really fits together over four weeks. And so one, one, I really encourage us to be here over the four weeks if we're able to. If we're not able to, um, then just really encourage you to, to listen to the other talks uh, on, the, on the website. And that will really help you to give an overall picture of what we're trying to, to bring to us. I think we need to understand that all of us are broken. All of us are in need of a saviour. All of us are in need of God's love. And so let's approach this with God's love and with his grace. Okay, so let's, let's move on now. Let's move on to talk specifically about marriage this morning. And so as I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, where do we start? Where do we start when we're looking at this? Well, there's no better place to start than with Jesus. You know, it's the old adage, isn't it? If uh, you're in a Sunday school and uh, the Sunday school teacher asks the question, then the child always says, Jesus. And those of us who've uh, taught children and young people will have experienced that. Um, And it's a good place to start. Jesus is the starting point for us. We understand God through Jesus. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And on a bit of teaching in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 19, this is what Jesus says. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I love those last words. It's words that I proclaim over a married couple when they've just married. And they're, they're wonderful words, declaring God's truth. And so uh, Jesus points his listeners to where? Where does he point them? He points them right back to the beginning, to Genesis. And that's why we had that reading from Genesis um, this morning. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul does a very similar thing. He points his readers back to Genesis chapter 1, 
quoting verse 27. And so that's where I want us to go now. I want us to go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. And if you haven't got your Bibles, I really encourage you to open them. Um, page 4 in your Bibles. And we're just going to unpack this a bit. And so the starting point uh, in this verse is what? Who is named first? It is God. So God. That's the first point. Genesis uh, chapter 1 verses 1 to 2 as well says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, whenever we approach anything as followers of Christ, we need to start with who God is. And it's really interesting as we look at who God is, that actually if we go to the verse before verse 27, 26, that we read something about who God is. And it's the first point that we actually read about God defining himself as Trinity. He doesn't call himself the Trinity, but it's the first point where we begin to understand this. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read this. And then God said, let me. No, no, he didn't say let me. He said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Right at the beginning, we have this sense of God being community. Three persons, yet one God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is relationship. I think this is one of the wonderful things about the Christian faith. As we come to God, he is relationship. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is interrelated. He, he, he relates to himself. And before anything else was created, there was a dynamic of community and relationship. And so then that leads us on to Genesis 1.27 goes on to say, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And so humanity is created in God's image. And we have this desire and this longing for intimacy, for relationship, to be part of community. This is part of how God has made us. You know, it's inconceivable, isn't it, to think I'm going to live my life without anybody in my life. Sadly, there are some people who are so broken who are in that place where they live by themselves. But for the majority of us, there is that craving at least. And most of us will have some experience of community. You know, one of the, uh, one of the lovely things I, I, I um, have been experiencing recently was one of my children. And I don't know if this will touch you or not. It may not because it's my experience. But uh, just uh, my, my little son, Simeon, you know, just uh, in the mornings, just hearing his, his pitter-patter feet um, as he walks along the hallway, gets out of bed. Uh, the other day, actually, he'd taken one of his toy cars to bed and he, he switched it on. It made a noise and I could just hear him get out of bed, pitter-patters. And he's just recently had a hand-me-down uh, gorilla onesie. And he's just, he just looks so cute. Um, believe you me, he has his moments as well. So I'm, I don't want to paint the, the, an incorrect picture um, but, but, and, you know, he says to, says to me and uh, to Ali, you know, Daddy, oh, can, I, can I have a wrap, please? And uh, this is for lunch. And uh, he said, I would like, uh, I'd like ham, cheese, and chutney. And it just, there's just something about the way he says that that brings out a joy and an affection in my heart for my son. Um, but also I see it in him, the way he relates to me. He's, you know, occasionally, just out of the blue, say, I love you, Daddy. And it's just a wonderful thing, this sense of relationship and intimacy and and all of us will experience that and know that. And that's good. You know, that's good. We want to celebrate that. God wants to bring more of that 
into our lives. God is about relationship. He has created us for relationship and he wants us to engage in relationships. And so then we move on in the verse and it says, male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female is what reflects the glory of God. Male and female, we are made in God's image. They are not identical and certainly not interchangeable. The blurring of the sexes is not a biblical pattern. God has created us in his image. And it's really interesting when you look at the narrative in Genesis that we have these complementarities. He talks about uh, heaven and earth, talks about land and sea. And as you go through Genesis 1, you will identify others. But it climaxes in God's creation of humankind, of male and female. And what's really interesting as well, that right at the end, um, right as we go right forward to uh, Revelation, we also have these complementarities as well. So um, what's, what's created? What's the new? It's the new heaven and the new earth. And also we have Jesus and the church. And what's the symbolism that the Bible uses for Jesus and the church in Revelation? Does anyone remember? It's marriage. It's marriage. It's the bride and the bridegroom. And so marriage speaks something deeply of who God is. And so as it talks about us being created as male and female, we have this wonderful understanding, something of who God is as well. Um, we then go, in, go on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so there's something about marriage that God has created it for fruitfulness. And specifically, of course, in Genesis here, it's talking about children. And I recognize that this isn't possible for everyone. And my heart goes out to those who... Uh, struggle to have children. And what Genesis is saying here is that actually marriage is about uh, a fruitfulness. It's about saying it's not just about two people. It's about blessing others. You know, we believe, don't we, in the value that we are blessed to be a blessing. And marriage should be both a blessing for those in the marriage relationship and for those around as well. And, uh, you know, in the church, I think sometimes we can be a bit coy and a bit shameful almost about talking about sex, about talking about these really deep and important things. But what really interests me is right at the beginning, God celebrates this. You know, God is not against it. In the church, sometimes we've been so prudish that it's almost like we think that's a bad thing, but actually God is so for this. You know, we see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 31 that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God looked upon his creation. He saw he'd made man and woman in his image. And he saw it as very good. He'd created them to be fruitful. And that is implicitly talking about sex. He saw it and said, this is very good. We need to be clear about this. And we need to celebrate this as God's people. You know, We can rejoice in what God has created. He has created each one of us. And as, as God looks on each of you this morning, he sees something very good. He sees people who are very good, who are made 
in his image. And I think in a day and age where self-esteem is on the down, where young people particularly struggle with their identity, actually God says, what I've created is very good. I love my creation. And I think in our society, it's perhaps gone to the other extreme um, where we have an obsession with sex. You know, we see it everywhere. We see it on the TV. We see it in advertising. You know, I'm mindful of my children when I go into a newsagent. What is sprayed across the, across the magazine covers? You know, what's that doing um, to their minds? And we don't, we don't want to give the image that we're against all this because, as I've just said, God is really for this. But actually, how we express this is really important. And this isn't a new thing, by the way. It was very evident in the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. That's how bad it had got in Paul's day. And so I think as we talk about these things, it's really important that we get God's fuller picture on them. And one of the things I'm really mindful that we haven't talked about enough um, in our church is the value of singleness. So as I talk about marriage now, I just want to very quickly say that actually we really want to value those who are single. And uh, such is the importance of this that I've actually invited someone to come in to talk to us about singleness. I have a lady called Alison Evans who's coming in in a few weeks' time who will be talking to us about her experience of being a single uh, woman. And I really want us as a church to grow in our understanding and our commitment to enabling people who are single to be really part of the community of church, whether that's a sense of calling to singleness or whether it's life uh, circumstances. And so moving on, um, what's the first thing that the Bible says is not good? It's a bit of a trick question because I imagine most of us will think to Genesis chapter 3, and the fool. But there's actually something before that that's described as not good. And it's specifically for man not to be alone. Now, some of your wives who are wives here think, yes, flipping good that my husband isn't alone. He wouldn't get on very well. And I'll speak for myself. That's probably true of me as well. Um, but that's not quite what, um, what Genesis is getting at. It says in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I want to jump in immediately because when some of us hear that, we think Paul is a bit sexist. And uh, here's, here's the man. We've got a woman created to be uh, the man's helper. Now, that's not what Genesis is saying. And in fact, there are places in the Bible where it describes God as man's helper. Okay, so just to give a bit of perspective on that. Um, and, and so what this is saying, it's saying actually there's a complementarity and there's a working together. There is certainly a, an equality. You know, Galatians is very clear on that. It says there are neither men nor women, that actually there's a sense of equality uh, before God. And we are created in the image of God. And as such, we are made for relationship. We need each other. We need each other. Men and women, just generally in society, we need each other. And God has created marriage in which man and woman can be united together. And that moves us on now to Genesis. We're going to skip a bit out now and we're going to move to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 24 to 25 where I want us to talk about a new union. And uh, it says here, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked 
and they felt no shame. And this is the first place where we get an understanding of biblical marriage, the union of a man and a woman in a lifelong commitment. And the idea is that the groom leaves his family and the bride leaves her family and they come together as a new unit. And this is supposed to reflect something bigger. You know, God is three in one and uh, a married couple are two in one. And right at the beginning here, we see that marriage is a picture of the loving relationship within God. Marriage is a deep union and is uh, is cemented by sexual union. So much so is the importance of this that we say a marriage is not uh, consummated and can be annulled if that has not taken place. And I think it's really important as well that marriage is a covenant, okay? So it's not a transaction. You know, if I shop in uh, Sainsbury's, I can uh, buy their products. And if I get to the point where I think, well, actually, they're not good value prices. And actually, I like the look of the products in another shop. I can choose to go to another shop. But that's not the way marriage works. Marriage is a covenant. We make a commitment to one another to be committed to each other. And actually, that's hugely releasing, you know. I don't have to think that I need to look my best all the time or have to be perfect. I don't have to put on a veneer of perfection. None, none of us in marriage relationships don't need to do that. It doesn't mean to say that we don't need to make an effort. We do. But the point is we don't have to always be looking wonderfully amazing. And, you know, we see it in our society today. We see it in social media, don't we? People profiling their pictures to look their best. And there's such a pressure on people. And if marriage is about transaction, there is so much pressure. But actually marriage, from a biblical perspective, is about covenant. We do not have to be perfect all the time. And sexual union is such a deep thing. It is not just a physical thing. If you sleep with someone, part of you unites at a very deep level. And the difficulty is that if we sleep with someone else, if we sleep with different people and we don't respect that marriage union, it actually leaves us fragmented. The biblical ethic for sex is within the context of lifelong marriage. Genesis 2, 24 says, A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And for some people, they have become fragmented in this. And we live in a, we live in a fallen world and we need to be honest about the brokenness of all of us. All of us have experienced pain and brokenness. And the good news is that Jesus loves us, that he cares for us. You know, the enemy wants us to believe that if we just do this or we pursue this way of living, it will be so much better. You know, that's the picture in Genesis 1, isn't it? Uh, Genesis 3, rather, in the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The devil tempts us saying that if you take God's standard seriously, it will spoil your life. But I just want to say flat out, that is a lie. Don't accept it. Do not accept it. We need to hold on, rather, to the words that follow in Jesus, uh, in John chapter 10.10. Jesus, after saying the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, he says this, I have come that they may have life and life in its fullness. Do you believe that, that actually God has got the best for you? 
And that may not be the experience we have at the moment. In fact, we may be experiencing great trauma, great challenge. But actually, that is what God has got in store for us. God is about restoration. He's about bringing all things together. And the whole story of the Bible is about restoration. He came to restore our relationship with God. He came to restore our relationships with other people. He came to create a whole new community. And that community is called what? It's called the church. You may look around and you think, my goodness, really? Sometimes I feel that about myself. But we are loving community. God has created us as a new community in which we can experience belonging, love, that we can uh, express that to one another as well. And this is something, again, I want us to really grow in and develop, that I want this to be a safe place, a place where people can come who are broken and sense God's healing. And as I mentioned earlier, I want us to do some work, particularly thinking around singleness and how we really become a community that is both for families and who really welcomes those who are are single. And as I said, we've got Alison coming in to share with us in a few weeks. And so now I just want to finish up by saying, and I think this is the most important thing actually in this whole series, um, is that marriage um, is there to point us to the marriage. Marriage is there to point us to the marriage. Uh, In the context of Paul's teaching on marriage in uh, Ephesians uh, 5, he says this, This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You know, marriage, I don't know if you knew this, but marriage only lasts for this lifetime. There is no marriage in heaven. I'll caveat that in a moment. Um, Mark twelve twenty four to 25 says, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. There will not be marriage. And so for some of us, we might be thinking, oh, oh. Um, but I want to say to us, one, if we're in a really difficult marriage, one, it's quite liberating, uh, that one, one day God will, God will bless us and, uh, and uh, give us that sense of uh, the marriage that we're called into. Secondly, though, if we're in a great marriage, what I pray and hope many of us are, um, that actually there's something even better. There's something even better to come. Marriage is supposed to point us to what? It's supposed to point us to the marriage, the marriage between Christ and the church. And so the world makes sex out to be everything. And, you know, sex is a wonderful thing. It's created by God, but it is not the ultimate It is penultimate. Sex and marriage uh, will cease one day. And we are invited into the marriage, the divine marriage. As the church, we will be married to Christ. And this picture of marriage between man and woman for life is to point us to the Trinity, three in one. We are invited into this amazing relationship. And so as we engage with this series over these next weeks... I really wanted to encourage us to come back to this point about who God is and what God is inviting us into. You know, God is Trinity, his relationship, and he invites us in 
to his relationship community, but also invites us to be loving community together. And one part of that loving community is supporting, blessing uh, the institution of marriage in uh, the context here, and also uh, the, the family, and also recognizing that all of us are part of a community together. And so I realize that as we explore this, that for some, there may be some real challenges here. There may be some old wounds that are touched upon. And my heart in this is not for us to judge. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, for us to get into that that, uh, mindset of judging one another. But we're not called to do that. You know, Jesus, when he came, he said, what? I've not come to judge the world, but I've come to save the world. And so we come together Um, All of us broken people, all of us messed up in many ways, but we come as we are before a God who loves us, a God who wants to restore us, and a God who wants to point us to himself.